All right, at this time, we will turn to the word of the Lord. And the scripture that we will consider tonight is Psalm 8, Psalm 8, verses 1 through through 9. And we are going to consider God's mindfulness of man, his mindfulness of man. And this is God's thoughts towards man, his remembrance of man we will consider tonight. And Psalm 8, it is about the majesty of God. And this psalm begins and ends with the Lord's majestic name in all the earth. And it also speaks of the Lord's glory, which transcends even above the heavens. However, within this psalm, we see God's careful thought and attention to mankind. So much attentiveness is given to man that it drove David to ask the question. David, who is the psalmist, it drove him to ask the question, what is man that you take thought of him? And this evening, it is that loving attentiveness of God toward man that we will consider. So turn with me to Psalm chapter 8, and we will read verses uh, 1 through 9. Psalm 8, verses 1 through 9. Starting in verse one, it says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth who have displayed your splendor above the heavens from the mouth of infants and nursing babes. You have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. May the Lord add blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again for this time to be in your word and to hear from you, God, and I pray that with this time that we have together, Lord, that you would be glorified. May you increase and may I decrease, Lord. I pray that I would not say anything that misrepresents your word, and I pray, God, that we would be edified by your word and built up by the things that your word has to say to us this evening. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right. So verses one and two it says, O Lord, 
our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, who have displayed your splendor above the heavens from the mouth of infants and nursing babes. You have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. So before we discuss directly God's mindfulness of man, let us first consider who God is and how he is addressed in this psalm. So the first thing that we will consider here about God is God's name. So David opens the address to God by saying, O Lord, our Lord. David says the name Lord twice, but the meaning is not the same. In Hebrew, the translation is O Yahweh, our Lord. The LSB actually translates it that way, but most English Bibles, however, translate it as we have read it. O Lord, our Lord. And up to this point in the Psalms, David has called out to the Lord in an individualistic manner. Uh, This is the first time that he uses the plural, our Lord almost as if to invite others to join him in worshiping or recognizing the Lord. Now, of course, only the people that uh, can, in fact, say that God is our Lord are God's people alone. None other can say that. But what does the name Lord mean? So let's consider this briefly. Consider the name Yahweh. When the Lord commissioned Moses to go to Pharaoh and lead Israel out from slavery in Egypt, Moses asked who he should say sent him. And in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, God replied and said, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me To you. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 3. And in verse 15, it says this It says, God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, The God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial name to all generations. See, it is the name. It it is his name, Lord Yahweh, the existing one. This is his name that is to be remembered throughout the generations. The Lord's name, I am, or I am who I am. This is the personal name of God. In this name, we see also that he is a redeemer. He brought Israel as a nation out of slavery to Pharaoh in Egypt through awesome displays of power. Yahweh redeems his people. At the root of the gospel lies this name. And as Yahweh led the nation of Israel out from captivity under Pharaoh, 
So the Lord Jesus Christ, by his blood, powerfully redeems for God men from every tribe, people, nation, and tongue. Revelation chapter 5 tells us that. And this from out of the grips of Satan, death, and slavery to sin, saving them from the wrath of God. What great power there is in the name of Yahweh. And there is awesome power in the name of Jesus Christ. But back to our text, David, he then addresses the Lord as our Lord. And this is a term of possession. David used the word our as opposed to my, like he had in other portions of scripture. Psalm 7, for instance, he said, O Lord, my God, in you I have taken refuge. The words my and our, these words give a sense of possession. The Lord is David's Lord, and if we are in Christ, he is our Lord too. From the moment of regeneration, repentance, and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we can claim him as our Lord. Matthew Henry says this. He says, if we believe that God is our Lord, we must avouch and acknowledge him to be ours. He is ours, for he made us, protects us, and takes special care of us. He must be ours, for we are bound to obey and submit to him. He is our Lord. The second use of the name Lord is translated Adonai, meaning governor, superior, ruler, king, or master. It is a title of authority and honor. So we could look at this as David saying, O Yahweh, our king, the great I am, he is king. Whether people acknowledge him to be so or not, he is king and ruler of all. But let's consider also about God, his majesty and splendor. After David speaks of this great name, he goes on to say, how majestic is your name in all the earth? How great is the name of God, the Lord, the King? He is indescribable, though we try our best to describe just how great God is. Our vocabulary fails us. David suffices to say in this particular instance, how majestic is your name in all the earth? See, it's not only in the place where David stood, but to the ends of the earth, the Lord's name is majestic. And even that is not enough to contain the the majesty of the Lord. The greatness of his name, his glory, his splendor is too great to be contained. All of creation does not have the capacity 
to hold the glory and majesty of our Lord. It burst through the atmosphere into the, the second heaven, the space where the galaxies, the stars, the moon, the sun inhabit in all of their greatness. But even there, the Lord's splendor cannot be contained, nor can it be matched. The glory of God is above all of these things, but yet and still in them. It is an infinite glory that will never cease. Throughout all eternity, the Lord's glory goes on. It is inexhaustible. His glory is infinite. It will not end. David mentions the heavens and the earth. And the idea here is that the glory of God inhabits the heavens, the earth, and all places in between. This is God's glory, his majesty. Let's consider next God's strength. The great God, the Lord who is the ruler of the earth, who displays his awesome power through creation. When the storms rage, when the winds blow, when the waves of the mighty waters of the sea come crashing down, this all points back to God. And only he can tame the storm and still the winds and calm the raging waters. This is the power of our great God. And we see his glory, his majesty, his splendor in these things. But how does God, how does he choose to show his great strength within this world? By using weak people to do his great work throughout the earth. In verse 2, David, before going any further, brings to focus the most vulnerable of human beings to show God's strength on display. Now, there is certainly contrast here between the weakness of babies and the strength of God's foes, presumably stronger adults. However, by established strength through the infants and nursing babies, the Lord's enemies are stopped. David knew the importance of babies, even in their preborn condition. In Psalm 139, he acknowledged that the Lord knitted him together in his mother's womb. And that when he was being intricately woven in the depths of the earth, that the Lord's eyes saw his unformed substance. See, David's words show how precious life is, even in its earliest stages. And then after the baby is fully formed and the mother gives birth and begins to nurse the child, even in that we can see the glory of God. Because though the mother and father of that child give him or her the best care that they are able to, it is the Lord that protects that child and causes for them to be fed and to continually develop. They go 
from nursing to later stages of infancy, whereby they are able to begin to form words. And it is these infants and nursing babies that the Lord uses to still the enemy. It is believed that mothers in this time nurse their babies for a longer period of time than typically mothers do today. And though the glory of the Lord is seen through all stages of pregnancy and infant development, it could be that David has in mind those children who were developed to the point of being able to form words and speak. He says this in verse two, from the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. This makes the enemies of God look foolish and it attests to the strength of God. Jesus quoted this verse in Matthew chapter 21 Verse 16, after cleansing the temple for the sinful use of it and then healing the blind and lame within that temple, the children that were there were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. All of these things made the chief priests and scribes angry. They questioned Jesus specifically about what the children cried out. They said to him, do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies? You have prepared praise for yourself. And then he left them. Jesus recited Psalm chapter eight, verse two. And you will notice that the wording is a little different in what Jesus said. At the end of the verse, instead of saying you have established strength, he uses the words, you have prepared praise for yourself. Now, there is no contradiction in scripture here. Jesus used the Greek translation of the verse. And in this, we see how Psalm 8 was partially fulfilled in Matthew chapter 21, how the enemies of God were stilled whenever the praise of the Lord and King Jesus Christ was praised by young children, how they called out to him. See, it frustrates the enemies of God. Jesus also, in his words, attributes this praise to himself, knowing that he or or showing that he is God just by virtue of them crying out in praise to him. His words show that he is God. So you can see why the chief priests and the scribes became indignant whenever the children cried out to, to Jesus. See, one reason why it is of utmost importance to have our children in church with us, worshiping the almighty Lord, singing songs to him, 
hearing the public reading of Scripture, listening to faithful teaching of the Word, it is because there is power in those things, and they need to participate in these things. And not only should this be done only in church, but also at home. There should be time for family worship, singing songs, teaching from Scripture, learning of obedience, learning to be obedient to God from a young age. See, this has and will have a tremendous effect in raising up future leaders within the kingdom of God to be used mightily by him. Parents, you are raising up arrows to shoot out into the world to silence and stop the avengers and enemies of the Lord. So never give up in this work of obedience to the Lord and training your children in the ways of the Lord. See, whenever a child speaks the truth of God's word and his gospel, sings out to him in worship and adoration, these are not empty words going out into space. No, there is power there to still the enemy when the most vulnerable speak the truth of God's word. Make no mistake, it is all through the power of the Lord, nothing intrinsic to the child, but the Lord uses them. See, this is a threat to the kingdom of darkness. With such power displayed by the Lord in toddlers, it is no wonder why the enemy is hell-bent on wanting to slaughter babies in the womb. For it is through these babies that the glory and power of the Lord is seen on full display, and the power of the adversaries of the Lord is proven to be but futile in comparison. This to such a degree that the prince of darkness wants them dead. And how does he accomplish this? Through the evil of abortion. He blinds the minds of women carrying the gift of God in their wounds and persuades them to murder that innocent child that is within the womb, the place where it is supposed to be the most protected. The enemy tells them that it is their body and their choice to murder that child when it is God who gives them life. And it is only he who can determine when they go into eternity. Anyone else making that determination for the fate of that child is in direct violation of the sixth commandment. You shall not murder. Abortion is murder. And Satan wants nothing more than to stop the voices of those who make the mightiest enemies of God look like fools. See, this is Sanctity of Life Sunday. And I thank God that I, that we are a part of a church that treats every Sunday and every day as a Sanctity of Life Day. 
not just one day out of the year. So let us continue on in these things and fighting for the lives of innocent preborn babies until the Lord ends the Holocaust of abortion or calls us home. See, it is by these little ones, the Lord, by establishing strength through the most vulnerable of human beings, this shows us one way that God is mindful of man. Let's see, let's consider some other ways that the Lord is mindful of man. Verse 3 of Psalm 8, it says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. See, David here, he goes back to the greatness of the Lord's creation. He takes note of the skill which he, in which the Lord created everything. He says, with his fingers, as if the Lord crafted everything with the skillful hand of an artist. We know that the Lord is so powerful, however, that he spoke things into existence. He ordained them and set all of creation in order to function as it ought to. See, we should take a lesson from this also. And as David considered the creation of God, we should also pause and take time to consider the creation of God just by virtue of how we are made. We are made upright so that we can see the things that God has made. And we are able to lift our eyes up to the heavens and thank God for the beauty of his creation. We should always focus on him. See, he did not make us as he made the animals with that disposition to look down to the ground at all times. He made us in his image and in his likeness. It is our duty to take a moment to pause and see the creation of God. We don't want to be those that are always so busy that we can never stop and pause and see the beauty and the power and the excellence of the God who created this world, of the God who created us, of the God who is so mindful of us. Verse 4 says, What is man that you take thought of him, and the son of man that you care for him? See, David saw all of the Lord's creation, and you can picture the setting as being a night sky where he is looking up at God's creation, just taking in everything that the Lord has created and seeing it in its majesty, in its splendor, in its beauty. And then he ponders the thought and asks, what is man? 
that you take thought of him. See, this is God's mindfulness of man. What does it mean to be mindful? It means to be attentive, regarding with care, bearing in mind, heedful, observant. Mindfulness is attention, regard, heedfulness. So God's mindfulness of man could be stated to be God's thoughtfulness or remembrance of man in an intimate way of paying attention to, watching over and caring for man. See, this is a part of the Lord's goodness to all mankind. He watches over us. He looks out for us, even those who are not in Christ. By his common grace, as we heard this morning, he looks out for all mankind, takes care of them. This is God's mindfulness to all mankind. Considering the heavens that God created prompted him to ask that question. What is man that you take thought of him? See, David does not have in mind the greatness of man in view here. He's not asking that as a form of boasting. Rather, he is looking to the exact opposite, the fragility and mortality of man. And here we realize God's mindfulness of man's frailty. In Psalm chapter 103, verse 14, David says this. He says, of the Lord, that he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. In this text, however, David first looks at the creation and says, when, when I consider your heavens, the, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, again, consider the setting of the, the night sky. David is observing the night sky and taking into account the moon and the stars. These are the lesser lights of creation both in terms of usefulness and purpose of light. And as he contemplates these lesser of the luminaries, he ponders creation and asks that question. What is man that you take thought of him? The word that David uses here for man is Enosh. And This word expresses the frailty and mortality of man. So against the gaze of God's creation, again, against even the lesser of lights, what is man that God takes thought of him? And then on top of man's mortality and weakness, Consider the fact that man continually sins against the creator of the world. All of creation obeys the word of the Lord. But sinful man 
rebels and puffs his chest out in pride against Almighty God. <clears throat> see, we cannot help but to see here the condescending love of God to his children. We see God's mindfulness of man in calling and strengthening the weak. God is mindful to man in this way. Consider how Jesus said that you have to come to him. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 3, Jesus said this. He says, truly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. See, you don't bully your way into the kingdom. You must humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Consider the people whom Christ chose as his apostles. Acts chapter 4, verse 13 tells us that the rulers and elders were amazed when they observed the confidence of Peter and John whenever they proclaimed the majesty of Jesus Christ, knowing that Peter and John were uneducated and untrained men. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 says, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. None may boast. So consider this context with this context whenever you read verse four of Psalm eight and realize that God has chosen those who are foolish in the eyes of the world, the weak, the untrained, the uneducated. He raises them from death to life and uses them to preach and share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, these are the people who are weak. They are feeble, but the Lord's power is perfected in weakness. The apostle Paul said that he would rather boast about his weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in him. Second Corinthians 12, 9. And in verse 10, he says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. See, it is out of the mouths of those who come to Christ as little children in weakness and frailty, in humility to the sovereign God that he uses them to bring forth the word of the mighty gospel of Jesus Christ, which stops the vengeful enemy in his tracks. Just as the Lord's power is used in little ones, so it is used in those who come to him as infants in faith. This is how God is mindful to those who are weak and frail. God's mindfulness we also see in man's dignity. Psalm chapter 8, verses 5 through 8. 
says this. It says, yet you have made him a little lower than God, and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the seas. Now, again, I think it is safe to say that David here was looking back to original creation, whatever he penned these verses. But look at the care given to all mankind, the image bearers of God. Verse five says they were made a little lower than angels. This is the dignity of man's position and crowned with glory and majesty. The dignity of our crown could mean the the being created in God's image and his likeness. Verse six, he was made to rule over the works of God's hands. This is the dignity of authority. All things have been put under man's feet by God. Sheep, oxen, beasts of the field, birds in the skies, fish in the sea. These are the things that the Lord has given to man to rule over. Now, man does not have perfect authority over all animals, and this due to sin. Though some of the wildest beasts may be tamed, however, the Lord in his sovereignty causes the most useful animals to man to be brought under his Submission. Contemplate this fact. When the Lord created the heavens and the earth, he said, let there be. And it was so. However, when he created man, he took time and formed him from the dust of the ground and condescended from on high in all his majesty and breathe into the nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. Think about that. The care in which you were made by God, how he carefully knit you together in your mother's womb. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. He protected you when you were too weak and incapable of protecting yourself, raised you up to be the person that you are today. Think of this and then ask yourself, who am I that God is mindful of me? Especially considering your sin against him. See, Weigh that against the state, the statements of verses five through eight that we just read through. And if you're honest with yourself, you will quickly see that you do not qualify, nor do I. See, there has to be more to this. And there is, and it is much greater, found only in the person 
and work of Jesus Christ, who is the image of the invisible God. And here we see God's mindfulness in man's redemption. Jesus is, as Hebrews 1.3 tells us, he is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. See, Christ being the exact representation of God and the one who upholds all things, including you and me, by the word of his power, he has authority over us, the image bearers of God and over all things and everyone save the Father. The first Adam created with all the glory and splendor mentioned in this psalm sacrificed it on the altar of sinful disobedience to God. As descendants of Adam, mankind continued to offer sin after sin from the days of Adam to the days of Noah and down to today. In order for man to be restored to his God-intended glory, and majesty, it was necessary for Christ, the God-man, fully God, fully man, to redeem sinful man from death and destruction. It is in Christ alone that Psalm 8 verses 5 through 8 finds its fulfillment. Hebrews 2 gives us a glimpse into it. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews 1, in Hebrews 1, we learn that Jesus is better than angels. In the second chapter of Hebrews, we get to see how it is that Christ was able to redeem and restore man. Let's read Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Starting in verse 5, it says this, it says, For he did not subject to angels the world to come, concerning which we are speaking. But one has testified somewhere, saying, What is man that you remember him, or the son of man that you are concerned about him? You have made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. You have appointed him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not yet see all things subjected to him. But we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one father, for which reason 
he is not ashamed to call them brethren. See, Christ was humbled. And in order for you to enter into the kingdom of heaven, you too must be humbled. You must turn to the only one in whom you can find forgiveness of sin, the Lord Jesus Christ. He came down from on high into a world that he created, dwelled among sinful men, yet there was no sin in him. He, as the only acceptable sacrifice for sin, went to the cross where he suffered the wrath of God, being forsaken by his father while paying the sin debt to him in full. With every ounce of blood, not one was wasted. And by this, he secured the salvation for the worst of sinners, the weakest and frailest of man. His work upon the cross was finished and he gave up his spirit, hung his head and died. He was taken from the cross, laid in the tomb, proving his death, and he was resurrected on the third day for our justification. The resurrection is a historical event that changed everything. It follows that the one who was resurrected to life by the Spirit is the one who is Lord and King of all. Christ ascended to heaven and he is now seated at the right hand of God where he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. Let's finish up with just a few points of application and exhortation. Number one, God's mindfulness of you as his child means that you do not have to be defeated by sin. The Holy Spirit of God lives on the inside of you and can live and you can live in the power of God and not as a slave of sin. The Lord is mindful that you are but dust, but there is no excuse for sin. As God has been mindful of you, take care to consider your actions toward him. Do not live in sin, but live for the glory of God who saved you. God's mindfulness of man means that through Christ, you will be restored to the glory that the Lord intended for man to have. Though it is not yet fully realized as we are still in sinful flesh, know this, as God stooped down to breathe life into Adam, Christ did something much greater and fully condescended from on high. And to you who were as dead in sin as Adam was lifeless, 
before God breathed life into him. You, through the work of Christ, have been raised to life by Christ. It is a life that lasts eternally. You have been sealed with the guarantee of your redemption, the Holy Spirit of God. You have been raised up with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly places, as the book of Ephesians tells us. Live like Christ is king. Christ's enemies will be made a footstool for his feet. How does he accomplish this? God's taking thought of you. You are the one that God commissions and sends out. When you place your faith in Christ, you are commissioned to go out into this world. You must live in obedience to our Lord and King. Go out and bring glory to his name. You have been given power through God to go out into this world and proclaim the word of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and call all of God's enemies into submission to Christ. The power that the Lord gives to his children is a power that will silence the greatest foe of Christ. We must not fear. We must not fret. But we must know that the Lord, through his power, will silence every adversary of his. We must be faithful in doing the work that he has called us to do. And as a last point, examine your life. Be sure that you are in the faith. And if you are, rejoice in the Lord and sing out as the psalmist did. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth.